As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Max and Sam on the Until Saturday podcast feed. I am your host, Sam Khan, joined as always by my good friend, Max Olson. Max. Did you survive? Was it very cold in Ames? Did you survive the trip out to see Texas and Iowa State? I mean, it's, I suppose it was cold for Texans, you know. Um, <laughs> our guy, Chris Del Connie, he was bundled up pretty good, uh, anticipating that it would be extremely cold. No, it was a nice night in Ames. Um, late night in Ames. Um, I I didn't didn't get the most sleep, but I had a good time. I had a good time. That was the Jack Tri Stadium was packed out. Um, impressive win by Texas. And, uh, you know. It's crazy, Sam. It's freaking Thanksgiving week. How did we get here already? I know. It's crazy. It's Thanksgiving week, and Texas is 10-1, and 1, and they're still in this thing. Sure uh, interesting Interesting to see. Yeah, Sark was bundled up. I was amused by his outfit. But yeah, us Texas guys are not uh, not necessarily built for Iowa in November. So I uh, this, is, this is the reason why you were there and I was not. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think, I think there was some nostalgia for people of like, okay, this is the last road trip for, for the Big 12 era um do texas fans are they going to miss making that trip probably not. no, no. Probably. <laughs> i don't think so <laughs> i i, I don't think though. so not how was your weekend bit. it was good it was uh, interesting uh just uh kind of seeing how all this stuff is unfolding and uh tracking coaching searches of course as you know you know at texas a&m is is in, in the middle of a search right now we're gonna see if any of these other jobs uh come open uh, there's only been a handful so far and we'll talk about those later in the show but uh, but it, it's it's coming that time. It's where we're getting to the end here, where the conference races are down to the nitty gritty. We've got coaching searches either underway or about to start. We're, we're keeping an eye on different ones. Saw so Arkansas is not going to open apparently. Hunter mm-hmm. Urechek saying that Sam Pittman's going to be back for a year, so that was really interesting. But uh, good weekend overall. Glad that we're here for Thanksgiving weekend. And also, you know, I was tuning into a little bit of Texas high school football on Friday night. It's we're about to get to. The third round of the playoffs down here, which is one of my most fun times of year. So uh, it's been good. But but we have an excellent show on tap for you all today. In honor of Rivalry Week, we're going to talk Oregon, Oregon State, Civil War with former Oregon receiver Braylon Addison. He's going to join us to talk about his experience in the game, his perspective on the rivalry, what the game's atmosphere is like, the current state of the two programs, what he thinks of it as an alum. And so we hope you enjoy that conversation Later in the show, we'll have a little crossover with Power Hour. Nicole Auerbach 
Chris Vanini will join Max for a roundtable discussion on the coaching career. So we're going to try to see if we can help these schools place some guys into those jobs and, and figure this out. As always, be sure to follow the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your shows. Drop us a five-star review and leave us a question review. We'll answer it on the show. Subscribe to Until Saturday on YouTube. Be sure to join us live every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday on YouTube throughout the season for the reaction show, the pick show on Thursday, the Sunday sound off. Of course, if you want to participate in the Sunday sound off, call or text 316-462-9852, 316-462-9852. Those voicemails have been really good and they really add a much texture to the show and allow Ari and Dave and everybody to go off on uh, their tangents. But uh, do that. Sign up for the Until Saturday newsletter. You'll get your daily fill of college football news right in your inbox. The link to all those are in the show's description. So, Max, let's not waste any time. Let's let's go right to Braylon Addison and talk with him about Oregon, Oregon State. With it being rivalry week and so many big games on the docket, we thought it would be great to bring in some guys who played in big-time rivalries. And, and to that effect, we bring in Braylon Addison, former Oregon receiver, to talk about Civil War, Oregon, Oregon State. The 127th edition is coming this week. Braylon, how are you, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm, I appreciate you guys having me. Like you said, it's a big week, so I'm excited to you know talk about some Civil War, man. You got that Oregon shirt on, so I see you representing today for the Ducks. They've been pretty good this year, man. Yeah, yeah, I had to represent, man. I'm, uh, I've been proud. I've been watching a little bit. Like I've been in season, so you know I haven't been able to see every single game, but I've been watching a lot this year, man. They look good. Uh, offenses, you know, doing their thing. I, I think in the beginning of the season, I was watching. I felt like our strongest thing was our defense this year, and then uh, the offense starts to get clicking. The offense start to get rolling. So it's been exciting to watch the last couple of weeks. Yeah, no doubt. So before we get into the game itself, let's 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 talk about you and your journey. Uh, mm-hmm. I know a lot of Oregon fans remember you over time, and those of us like me who grew up in Texas know know about you from your high school exploits down in, in Texas high school football. Tell tell people a little bit about your journey from Texas to Eugene, and then now in the CFL where you've been playing for six years. Oh uh, yeah, man. You know, I just a kid played a, in Missouri City, Texas at High Tower. Uh, I played quarterback back in the day, and then, uh, you know, I was committed to Texas A&M for a long time, and uh, right up on signing day, I switched and, and chose to go to Oregon. Uh, I spent four years there. Uh, didn't get drafted. I went and played for – I went to camp with Denver, um, got cut out of Denver, and then I was with Chicago, the Chicago Bears for a season. Um, then I spent the offseason there, and then uh, they released me. And I set out for a year, man, and I found my way to the CFL in 2018. And I've been here ever since. You know, it's fun being in a new country, even though it's, you know, right above America. A lot of people don't even know. A lot of people don't know that, bro. Like, I talk to so many people all the time. They're like, yeah, so where is Canada? And I'm just like. Yeah, how do you even get there? <laughs> you know, so, it's, it's, it's crazy to actually think that people don't know it's right above. All they know is Toronto and everything else they don't know anything about. So it's been exciting, man. That's awesome. You know, Braylon, you mentioned that you flipped from, from Texas A&M to Oregon. Mm-hmm. Uh, during your recruitment at a very interesting time for both programs with uh, Kevin Sumlin coming in there and uh, Chip Kelly had things rolling in Oregon. You right. spent one season with Chip Kelly, then the rest with Mark Elfrich. You were mm-hmm. there in that program when they went and played for national title. So, what was that particular era of Oregon like, just being there? Oh, uh, man, it was awesome. I just, you know, during the season, man, I remember like Saturdays was, was like you would just wake up in the morning in the hotel and, and like it would just be like a, a – wave of excitement that would come over your body because i just remember like you know 
obviously going to class all week and doing all those things as a regular student. But like on Saturdays, you really felt like not a celebrity, but not a superhero. But it's like it was a combination of the two because like the whole city of Eugene was like at the stadium at 9 a.m., tailgating and just and this wasn't this is not even rival week I'm talking about. This is every single weekend, you know, just waking up in the morning and knowing the whole city is counting on you, man. It was exciting. Did you flip because of the uniforms? I mean, uniforms were, <laughs> were number one without a doubt at the time. Bro, so when I flipped, I just remember, like, I went ghost on social media for, like, a, and this was back then when social media wasn't even big. But I remember, like, typing in my name on the Twitter search bar, and, like, so many A&M fans had all these crazy, <laughs> crazy explanations of yeah. why I switched. This is why I messed up. There was, a, there was a time where they were, like, in limbo of, like, trying to figure out who the next head coach was. And I don't think, like, we had really anything to do with it, but, you know, like I said, Twitter was just getting hot at that time. So everything on Twitter you could see. And uh, I remember like me, Matt and Trey, like we were kind of like the, I guess, the cornerstone recruits in that class. And we were talking about who we would still go to AM and and play for. And at the time, like, like I said, Kevin Summer was my first offer at University of Houston. And uh, I think like he was the guy that everybody was saying could get the job. So I sent out a tweet, bro. This is like probably one of my very first tweets. <laughs> Somebody will probably go and find it. But I sent out a tweet and said, uh, <laughs> the only, like, I think I either said, I'll for sure stay committed to AM if Kevin Sumlin gets the job or something of that matter. Basically, I endorsed Kevin Sumlin. We all did, you know? <laughs> so fast forward, uh-huh. he got hired. Fast forward, he got hired. A month later, we all took another visit together, kind of to meet the staff and everybody. And, like, immediately when I got on campus, just something about being there and like, like the vibe wasn't the same as when Mike Sherman was there. You know what I mean? It was like, if I was a recruit in today's college football world, I can imagine like that. This is what it would have been like, but subtract 10 years ago when I was, you know, coming out of college, like, or coming out of high school, that's how it felt. It felt like I was like, like recruiting, it just felt kind of weird. You know what I mean? It was too much for me. Mm-hmm. Honestly, as an 18 year old kid, I felt like I was getting sold all type of dreams and things like that. And they were telling me like, oh, you're going to come in and you're going to be this, this and this and that as a freshman and blah, blah, blah. And at the time they had Ryan Swope. Like I watched, I was one of the kids, like I didn't just play football and I was good and I got recruited. Like I actually watched college football every weekend. Like this was like a thing I did with, with my dad. So I was up on game about who was good and who was not. So I knew about Ryan Swope, you know? So I don't know, just something in my heart, bro, I didn't feel right. And, uh, you know, every kid's dream is to to get recruited by USC at the time, Oregon at the time, Texas at the time. And then when Oregon comes in, I'm like, oh, shoot, like, because they didn't really recruit guys like that in a big lump sum from Texas. Like, you have to be, like, special yeah. to get recruited by Oregon at, from mm-hmm. Texas at the time. Like, they didn't come down there and waste their time. So it was it was, like, surreal for them to come down and recruit us. And I took a visit, man, and, like, the rest was – it was literally history. Like, I went there, and it was just, like – the one thing I remember, Chip looked me in front of – in my eyes, in front of my parents, and literally told me, he said, look, we know you're one of the best players in Texas. We know you're one of the best players in the country. He said, but we got DeAnthony Thomas. He was one of the best players in the country. He's one of the best players in California. We got Josh Huff. He was also one of the best players in Texas. He said, we're not going to hand you anything, but if you play, it's going to be on you. And mm. as an 18 year old kid, I don't know why, but that just resonated with me, bro. It was like, okay, wow. I can respect that because now I know whatever I do is on me. You know what I mean? And at the time, it was, that's all it took for me to go there versus somebody telling me that they was just gonna hand me something. I had friends that were in college, and they would they would tell me about 
you know, what coaches are going to say versus when you get here, how they're going to treat you. You know what I mean? So I just wanted coaches to keep it real with me and, you know, should keep it real. And that's how I ended up, I ended up there. Brandon, before we go and jump into the rivalry, one last thing. I did look up that tweet. Mm-hmm. And it says, it's December 4th, 2011. It mm-hmm. says, Kevin Sumlin at A&M equals me staying for sure. So. Exactly. <laughs> Dude, bro, but thankfully, there was not an early signing period that year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Dude, when I tell you there was so much flack, bro, it was a crazy story, right? So I'll tell you this. Um, hey, props to, props to you for not deleting it, too. You know, that's right. That's right. You left it up. No, so there was like, uh, I was dating, dating this girl at the time, right? And uh, when I switched, I remember uh, like her mom was married. And so um, her and her mom went to the, the nail shop together. Uh, her mom was getting her nails done. So she took off her wedding ring and she gave it to, at the time, my girlfriend. And uh, she like put it on her finger and then posted on her Facebook like, oh, Braylon proposed to me, like making a joke. <laughs> when I tell you a fans went and fa- went on her Facebook, found oh this gosh. picture and like put it on Twitter and was saying like, oh, Here's the reason he decommitted from AM. Oregon gave him all types of money. No way. Oregon gave him a wedding ring. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, no wedding way ring money. afford that type of ring <laughs> as a high school kid. Bro, it was crazy. Like, I ended up having to tell her to delete it because it was like, it was causing so many problems, bro. But it, was, oh, it just shows you, like, gosh. at that time before NIL was even a thing, like, college football fans are the craziest. Like, they, they are passionate, bro. So that's, that's incredible. That's yeah. incredible. Braylon, from from 08 to 2015, Oregon did mm-hmm. not lose a rivalry game to Oregon State. Yes, I, I don't think you were ever on the wrong side of that. Um, yes, can you? What do you remember about um, playing Oregon State, their fans, mm-hmm. playing in Corvallis? Just kind of how how was the atmosphere when y'all would play those uh, those Civil War games? It was awesome, man. Like like I said before, you know, talking about waking up on game day when the Civil War came, because there were some seasons where Oregon State was like. You know, no disrespect, but they were bad. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But waking up on that day, you knew that, like, if we lose this game, like, that just made their whole season, you know? So um, it was it was super exciting, man. Like, as a freshman coming into it, not really knowing, because I didn't, I didn't really know much about Oregon State at the time besides Jaquiz and James. Like, you know, I, they were from Houston. Those were two guys that I looked up to at the time. So I knew about them, but, like, I had really no history on the, the Beavers at the time. But – um, as a freshman, I found out really quick, like, you know, being able to go in there as a true freshman and play and just because the first year I played, it was at um, it was at Corvallis. It was in Corvallis. So we played at their stadium. And uh, just I, one thing I can remember, bro, is on every third down that chainsaw they would play. Man, it was awesome. Like <laughs> they got a, they got a great atmosphere there. And uh, actually, funny enough, I was watching, um, you know, I was praying for Washington to lose last week when they played Oregon State no, and no. they played in Corvallis. So I was telling all my friends, like, dude, it's gonna be a hard game to win. And it rained. It was it was raining like crazy. So I was telling all my friends, it's gonna be hard to win there. Um, but that I'm so proud of that, man. Just um, like you talked about not losing to them for four years. I played them and I didn't lose one. Um, you know, that's one thing I'm always proud of. You know, um, there were some years at Oregon that, you know, we didn't do too great as far as the Oregon standards goes. Like I never had a losing season, but you know, at Oregon, we expect to be playing on New Year's, you know what I mean? And uh, there were some years that we didn't, but, you know, the thing that we can hang our hats on is we didn't lose the Civil War. So um, both sides take it serious. Like, you know, in Corvallis, they take that serious. Like, if they can beat Oregon, like, all right, our year is made. And, and Eugene, like, we could be 10-0. and And if you lose the Civil War, the season was a waste, you know what I mean? So um, 
You know, it's like that robbery, like it runs deep. And there's there's all type of history that goes back into it that, you know, that you learn while you're there. And it's, it's, it's awesome. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, was that interesting for you as an out-of-state guy moving in there, trying to understand mm-hmm. this rivalry? Is it is it like a big brother, little brother kind of thing? And obviously, Oregon State is up right now, right? They're number 11, mm-hmm. but going into that Washington game, they still have a chance to have back-to-back 10-win seasons for the first right. time in school history. Mm-hmm. What was your sense of like kind of the dynamic between Oregon and Oregon State when you moved there? Uh, yeah, I was I was learning at the time. You know, I knew about Texas A&M versus Texas or Ohio State versus Michigan or, you know, Florida versus Florida State or Florida versus Miami. Like, sure. you know, I knew about those. Um, but at the time, I, I didn't really, like I say, I knew about Oregon. But the only thing I knew about Oregon State was Jaquiz and James Rogers. You know what I mean? Like, those were guys I looked up to. So, like, when I got there as a freshman, like, you know, I'm going through the season just playing. And first of all, I'm just – I'm a happy-go-lucky 18-year-old kid. You know, I'm I'm up on the roster as a fresh, a true freshman. I'm traveling with the team, and you know, I've scored you know maybe a couple of touchdowns here. But you're like, in, you're I, in the video game, right? Yeah, that's a big deal. Exactly. So I'm back every. <laughs> nobody's picking Oregon State at that time, by the way. You know what I mean? So, um, like, I'm not keeping any history on them. But like that Civil War week, I just remember like, I think at the time, either we were undefeated or we may have lost one game. No, we lost to Stanford that earlier that year. So we lost to Stanford, and we were like number three in the country at that time we had lost to Stanford and I remember that week like everything we had did prior to that point was like it didn't matter you know what I mean like tonight is like this secures our season you know obviously we're going to be in a bowl game but if we don't handle tonight everything else we did was a waste so you know learning about that history and learning about how important it was to you know the people up in Corvallis and, and what it means to them and the people down in Eugene and what it meant to them um it was crazy man like like I said my first one being at their stadium was it made it two times more intense um it was awesome i like i think at that time i think uh mcmahon no what's his name sean mcmahon was their quarterback at that time sean Mannion, yeah sean Mm -hmm. man yeah sean man he and he was good like uh they had him i think brandon cooks was there at the time like i played against so many good guys jordan poyer was there at the time um so it was it was awesome game like i said they weren't that good that year but Every year I played in that game, it was competitive every single year. Now let's talk about this year's team. You, you mentioned mm-hmm. obviously this is this has been a really good Oregon team this year. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. They're in the thick of the playoff hunt right now. Uh, I'm curious how much time do you get to watch Oregon mm-hmm. football? You know, obviously you you know you had your own season going on right. uh, in Ottawa, but uh, how much do you get to watch? And what do you think of this year's Oregon Ducks team? 
Uh, I like them, man. I like them a lot. Like I said, I've you know I've had some games on the same day where they have or at the same time. But you know, anytime I have it, I've watched them. I've caught at least eight games this year. Um, and I, me and one of my friends, he's a big time college football fan too. I talk to him all the time, and to, and we both agree that I think this Oregon team this year is probably like the minus maybe one or two crystal ball teams. But this Oregon team this year is one of the teams that I feel like remind you of that that era of like Darren Thomas, Jeremiah Mazzoli, you know, Marcus Mariota, like those teams right there. I think this team reminds me something close to those teams. Um, you know, just the, the the balance, the defense, the offense, the special teams. Bo is playing awesome right now. You know, Troy break, breaking both of those records he just broke. Um, you know, seeing that even, you know, Bucky, you know, those guys in the backfield, uh, this, I think this team is, I think they can legitimately get it done. Like if they get a chance to get into the playoffs, if they handle business and, and went out and if they get that chance to get in, I think they can legit contend for the title. You know, obviously Bo Nix, you mentioned he's had a great season. He's in the mm-hmm. thick of the Heisman Trophy race. Mm-hmm. If you had a vote, is it safe to assume it's going to Bo? Yeah, my, my vote for sure would go to Bo, um, you know, not being biased. Uh, I, I would give a vote to Penix also, and uh, but my if if I had three votes, they're going to Penix, Bo, and Jaden Daniels from LSU, and those are the three kids that would get my vote. But you know, as a as a homer, I'm gonna give all my votes to Bo. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, <laughs> I don't know. I'm for sure hoping he gets it, man. You know, as a guy like you know, I watched him when he was at Auburn, and uh, you know, seeing how talented he was when he was at Auburn, and just like you know, as a young kid, and then having a chance for us to get him when he's like, you know, he's got skin in the game and, you know, you know, people make the jokes about how old he is and things like that. But if you just look at the growth, I'm happy he's wearing our jersey. You know what I mean? Because like I saw it, like when he beat us as a true freshman, I was like, oh shoot, that kid's going to be good. Like, I don't know what happened, you know, in between those years or, you know, why it didn't work out. But, um, you know, since he's been here, like everything I saw when he was at Auburn, like I've been seeing since he's at Oregon. And I think the staff has been doing a good job of, you know, continue to mold him and continue to help him get better because um, he's playing awesome football. Brilliant. I'm curious what you thought this summer with the way that the Pac-12 blew up, you know, Oregon mm-hmm. um, moving to the Big Ten. I, I'm like, I, I'm sure that was like interesting to wrap your head around based on your time playing in the Pac. Like, wh- what would you have been bothered by that move playing, you know, switching leagues when you were in school? Like, what do you mm-hmm. think of? that future in the big 10 and, and uh, what do you think that's going to mean for like just the players on that team to be, uh, you know, playing all over the country now? Uh, man, I'm interested to see how it's going to work, to be honest. Uh, you know, as a kid, you know, who played division one football, even before I played watching division one football, uh, it, it kind of rules, it ruins my nostalgia as a kid because like, I'm so used to the pack 12 or pack 10 at the time. I'm so used to the big 12. I'm so used to the big 10, uh, the Big East, the ACC, and now it's starting to like you know see all these conferences kind of crumble and just see it like you know this school being placed here, that school being placed there, and just it's just all over the place. So from a nostalgia standpoint, it it kind of screws with you like as a person who's been a long time college football fan and who's played. Um, I think it kind of you know ruins that aspect, but at the same time, I'm kind of I'm not excited, but I'm interested to see how it works out because I think. A long time, besides this year, the Pac-12, and you guys can correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I, I personally think that the Pac-12 wouldn't get so much respect because, like, most of our games would come on, like, late. Like, right now I'm on the East Coast. 
And there are sometimes I watch Oregon play and it's rolling around like the third quarter, like with four, like 10 minutes left in the third quarter and it's 1 a.m. over here. And I'm like, yo, I don't know if I'm going to make it to this game. And, you know, when you're there and you're playing, you're not, you're not thinking about that. But like some of those East Coast voters and East Coast people don't, who, you know, have opinions and have skin and deciding on what rank is here and what rank is there, they don't get to see, you know what I mean? Because it's one in the morning in the middle of the third quarter. But at the same time, like, like you asked, as a kid who's going to be in that situation, I don't know how it's going to work. Because if I got to go to play Wisconsin on Saturday and, you know, the game ends at 10 p.m., 11 p.m., and I got to jump back on the plane, I get back to Eugene in the middle of Sunday morning, and then you expecting me to be in class on Monday morning, <laughs> I don't know how it's going to work out. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just yeah. being honest, you know? So, and that's like, that's just one weekend, you know what I mean? What if you got to go to Wisconsin one week, come back, play a home game, and then two weeks you go to Michigan, and then the next week you go to Ohio State? Like, how is that, you know, as a kid? Like, I just don't know how it's going to work, man. But like I said, I'm interested to see, um, you know, I'm sure kids will adapt. They'll have some type of, you know, thing in place to help it, you know, help the kids be do better at it. But like I said, it's just I think it's going to be tough on the kids to be able to have to do that Saturday in, Saturday out, and then be in class on Monday or, you know, because sometimes they're going to have to leave on a Thursday. So, you know, they might miss Thursday and Friday class. You know what I mean? So I'm interested to see how it play out, but I'm excited for them to be able to go compete on a national stage week in and week out. Yeah, of course, uh, as we know, this means that Oregon, Oregon State are not going to be in the same conference starting next year. You know, obviously right. Oregon State still trying to figure out their situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we saw this weekend Washington Washington State announced that they're going to continue the Apple Cup for the next five years through 2028 to keep that rivalry going. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious. We've seen a lot of rivalries break up over realignment. Mm-hmm. Texas Texas A&M was one of them. Obviously, right. we've seen a lot of others. How important to to you as a duck is it that the Civil War continues between Oregon and Oregon State, even if they're in different conferences moving forward? I think it's very important, man. Some of those students in Corvallis, they probably haven't been to a game all year because they've been swamped with finals or they've been swamped with tests. But, like, they block out their schedules to go, like, I'm, I'm going to the Civil War. Like, I'm buying my tickets early because I'm going to go to the Civil War. Same in Eugene. Those those students, some students don't get to go to a game all year. It's sold out. But they, in August or September, they buy tickets for November to go to the Civil War. So I hope they can find a way to, to keep that game going. I think, you know, it's awesome for – both cities is awesome for both fan bases. I think I think rivalries can, you know, while you still have bad teams sometimes, rivalries are something that teams can have to look forward to. It gives kids something still to play for. All right. Last one before I let you out. How do you think yeah. it's gonna go this weekend? What's your prediction for how this weekend plays out? Man, I like I said, I've been watching, man. I I, I think Oregon State, this is one of the best teams they have also had in a while. Um, I think DJ's playing good football right now. Um, Jonathan Smith, I like what he's done with that with that team. Uh, I actually thought they were going to beat Washington last week to you know help us kind of jump them. But <laughs> I'm honestly, I'm glad they didn't though, because when we beat Oregon State and when we have to play Washington in the Pac-12 championship, I think it's going to be sweeter to, to for us to jump back into that you know playoff conversation for real. But um, to answer your question, uh, with respect. <laughs> I'll say we win by 10, 10 to 13, in between 10 and 13. Okay. I'm, I'm going to be respectful and say we win 10 to 13. 
They're playing good football, so I'm going to say 10 to 13. <laughs> I, I personally think Oregon's going to win the rematch, too. Yeah, next I do, too. I do, too. I think I think people don't understand how hard it is to play in that stadium up in Seattle. Like, they, that that is a good atmosphere. Like, that was one of my favorite places to play when I was mm-hmm. playing at Oregon. It was like, when we played Washington, we would go play in that stadium. That, that stadium is – it's intense, and especially when they're good like they are now, and like they got Penix spinning the ball how he is, and that defense is playing how they are. Like those fans get rowdy up there. So um, I think you know when we play in, in Vegas and it's a neutral site, and like we'll see how far their fans travel, and how much of them travel, and we'll see how much of our fans travel. Like we got to take care of this week first, but I'm speaking into fruition. So I think uh, <laughs> you know in that, in that rematch, I think I think we'll win too. So. Good stuff, man. Braylon, hey, sure. thanks so much for joining us on the pod, sure. man. Great stuff. Enjoyed going down memory lane and, and have fun watching Civil War this week. Appreciate you joining us. Yes, sir, man. I appreciate y'all having me. Well, thanks so much for Braylon Addison joining us. Max, that was that was a lot of fun going down memory lane now. <laughs> it also made me feel a little old because we were talking about some stuff that happened like 12 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we remember 2011, 2012 really well, don't we? We, we are getting old. Yes, now. we do. <laughs> we are when, when Braylon told me that he turned 30 that definitely dated me but Dude, uh, and he's still playing was, pro football at 30 that's amazing yeah no it's it's terrific but uh, that was fun talking about rivalry week now let's get into the off the field stuff and talk a little coaching carousel power hour crossover Nicole Auerbach Chris Vanini joining Max to give you the until Saturday search firm let's play some coaches in some of these jobs all right, welcome to the first edition of hopefully many editions of the Until Saturday search firm, the USS firm, or whatever we want to call it. Uh, I'm Max Olson, joined by Nicole Auerbach and Chris Vanini. Uh, let's play the coaching carousel game, guys. Uh, we are a search firm. Uh, we are doing this pro bono, unlike other search firms. Um, Why can't we get paid, Max? Why can't we get paid? Well, you know, we need a little proof of concept here first. And, you know, like all search firms, uh, we accept no blame if our recommended hires don't work out. That's that's not our problem. There's a couple of rules to this. Okay. First of all, let's not make money a whole thing. Let's be reasonable about kind of where we're trying to send people, but presume that the school can uh, can afford the hire. Okay. Bill um, Belichick coming in to Syracuse. <laughs> Bill Belichick escaping the hot seat to go to Syracuse. Okay. Well, if right. money's no object, yeah. Okay. We'll be reasonable. Be reasonable. Be reasonable. Um, we are going to, we're going to talk about four jobs today. Texas A&M, Michigan State, Mississippi State, and Syracuse. We are going to make a final recommendation on each of these jobs. Uh, so we've all eventually got to settle on who it's going to be. Now, when we do settle on our final recommendation, if we are taking a head coach, a sitting head coach away from a job, we need to be kind and uh, try to pass along another coach to replace that job. Okay. Now I'm not saying we're going to go on and on and on, but um, let's, let's try to, you know, if we're going to steal somebody, let's, let's, uh, let's do the right thing here and, uh, and give them some options. I'm ready to dive in. I, I have you guys done extensive research, a little research, are we spitballing? How are you feeling? I've written deep dives into every single program that has an opening job in the state of the job. So yes, I am. Uh, I'm prepared for this. I have not done that. So um, I think that Chris can probably set us up each time uh, and we can give our thoughts. And we, I mean, I assume Max, you ranked them from the best job to the least attractive in the form. Um, I did it. Did Syracuse last just because it was the the freshest opening. Um, but I suppose, yeah, I suppose that's implied a little bit, isn't it? 
Yeah, I, I think if we're gonna, we should start with A and M, right? I think yeah. like it's we know they will spend whatever they need to. Um, I so like Chris, when you make these job profiles or you look at candidates, and this one like the the search process is ongoing, so we know a little bit more. But there's like coaches that make a lot of sense, and then there's probably like home run swings that you try. So A and M, I'm sure, is casting a wide net, right? Like where where would you start for this one? Right. Well, the the reason I do the job profiles the way I do instead of just listing here's 10 candidates and going with it is because I'm trying to tell people know the context of the situation that they're walking into. Does this place have high expectations? What is their yes. NIL situation? What are their facilities yes. like? These are all things that yes. coaches care about uh, coming in. And and I guess the big question for this job, as Max laid out for the big, the big we have a big question for every job. Big one with Texas A&M. Can you win a national championship here? They have not won a conference championship since 1998. But when you've got all the resources in the world, you can recruit top five classes. That should speak to national championship possibilities. Max, you're someone who knows the state very well. Can you win a national championship at Texas A&M? You know, Texas A&M has not won a national championship since 1939 under Homer Norton. Of course, we all remember when they hired him away from Centenary. That was a, yes. that was a great call yep. back then. Um, Texas A&M has uh, certainly swung for the fences historically on, on these kinds of hires in the past. They've kind of tried to buy their way into the club a little bit. Jimbo Fisher uh, being hired away from Florida State was one of the you know rarest examples of all of a coach walking away from a school where he won a national championship uh, and, and restarting somewhere else. Of course, Florida State was a little bit down at the moment he walked out there. Um, there is an extreme, I would say extreme, in a complimentary way, level of investment in stadium facilities, staffing, NIL. I think to AM's credit, they gave Jimbo Fisher literally everything he could ask for. Yep. And I think the next coach will know that and we'll we'll do the same. Um, I think the per, you know, I think the perception of the quality of this job has changed dramatically since uh, the end of 2011 when they fired Mike Sherman and um, ran that search. Um, I think it's an insanely different program today than it was then. I think the question is like, and I think that it's an interesting list of people that have popped up uh, already for Ross Bjork. It seems like right now AM is looking more for a program builder than um, the big, sexy $10 million guy. Um, I don't know if, is that because some of those kind of big, sexy guys are not interested at this time? And, or have already said no? Or is that because ultimately it's just like, hey, can we just get the right guy in here? And I know people get worried about are we going to get stuck at eight, nine wins a year? But I think uh, after all that they invest in Jimbo Fisher, it seems like today it's about can we just find someone? We've got all this stuff. Can we find somebody that can just spend the money the right way and really maximize the potential here? Yeah. yeah so, would- so, yeah, well, we'll split that into two groups. Nicole, and I'll let you pick them. We have. The program builders, your Lance Leipold's at Kansas, your Jeff Trailer at UTSA, uh, your Mike Elko at Duke, uh, maybe your maybe your Chris Kleiman at Kansas State. Then you've got the big swings, Dan Lanning at Oregon, who already basically said no. I believe that's um, a no already. Yeah. Mike Norvell at I believe Florida that's a no State. Already. Yep. Kalen DeBoer at Washington. Dabo Sweeney, Lincoln Riley, maybe. Th- those are kind of the two pools there. Right. Nicole, which which right. one of those? Kirby Smart, love? Nick Saban, Bill Belichick. Yes. I mean, just keep going. Yes. Um, okay, so I want to 
I want to live in the program building pool. And I think we're going to be saying this a lot for today's show, considering the jobs that are open and the conversations around, especially Michigan State, um, what you need to win there. And Max, as you laid out, great. Like all the resources are there. The money is there. Investment is totally there. So you can't, you've done the route of, okay, here's someone who's had success somewhere else. Boom, we just place them in this environment and it'll work. I think you need to be smarter about people who have either worked at Texas A&M and understand the ecosystem like in Elko and have had success there. And also like the imprint that Mike Elko has on his program at Duke is still his defensive background, right? And it's still like, that's just a very... um, it's funny because like everyone loves to hire like the sexy offensive coordinators or these like explosive offenses. But I think, you know, you need to have a sound defense and you want that to be kind of the backbone of what you're trying to do. It's going to win you games in the SEC. But I think, you know, when you look at a Jeff trailer and a Lance Leipold, these are people who have won without the resources, without the best players. And same with Elko in all of his previous stops before he got to Notre Dame and A&M. That's why I like these coaches. Climbing fits this mold too, because they've shown that what they can do is replicable. You can do it at a higher level, but you can also do it in a situation where your roster isn't as talented as everybody else in the conference. So that's just good coaching. That's just maximizing what you have and figuring out where you have advantages. They're really good. They they hire well, like the coaches that they hire under them are really good. And I think that's something that Jimbo, obviously, you know, we saw the hap be pushed into hiring an offensive coordinator with Bobby Petrino. But I just trust those guys because I think they've done it in multiple places at different levels, which means that whatever they do, that blueprint works. And I would lean program builder over. And I get why you go for the big, the home run hires. I think Dan Lanning's no was one of the best no's that we've heard in a long time. Like exactly what you want to hear if you're an Oregon fan. I think Dion's non-no was a pretty good one too, talking about no, where his dog like paying is. Paying tax and Mary pays taxes. The good news on that is it does appear that the dog is ranking higher than the children these days. So that we did learn that from from Dion. But he's always but, ranking them. I mean, that's just a fluid thing. No, I know, but but the dog, the dog seemed to be really high. So my point is I lean in the, the I go for the program building bucket because Clearly, there are things you need to navigate there in the environment and the boosters and all and recruiting in Texas. You're also going to be dealing with OU in Texas now in the SEC. So I want someone who's done it in harder situations. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I think uh, I'm with you on that. I think Jeff Trailer. I think anyone should, I feel like any event should not be snobby about this one and, and really look at Jeff Trailer's accomplishments um, at UTSA, 38 and 13 in four seasons, back-to-back Conference USA titles. They are a win against Tulane away from playing for an AAC title in their first year in that league. Very much get the sense that it's time for him to make this, make, make a move this off season yes. with Frank Harris and their senior class yep. graduating um, but you know, this is a guy with a bunch of coach of the year honors right away. It was a risky hire in some ways, 
um, by UTSA, it, just based on the lack of, of uh, you know, head coach experience at the college level. But and I and, and also I think he'd be a strong candidate for Baylor and, or Houston if those jobs open. But I, I don't think that means that he's not qualified for AM. I think that he would make Texas AM extremely dangerous. Uh, and I say that in, in, in a good way. And I think it's not just about, oh, Texas high school coaches like him. I think it is this is a guy that would know how to maximize um everything that 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 is uh, to his advantage at AM. You know, will he recruit top five classes and recruit nationally and stuff like Jimbo Fisher did? I don't think so. I don't think he would care that much about recruiting rankings. And I don't know that's a bad thing because I but, think you can you can build classes there of guys that really want to be at AM that can be NFL players. Um I think that I think that he would still make AM a very attractive place. Uh, for recruits, but I think honestly, you could spend that money a little bit more wisely. But don't you need him or whoever to sign top five classes because you are a national championship caliber program with all the money that's going into it? And and I ask that because I think, look, when the LSU job opened, they did not take a serious look at Billy Napier, mm-hmm. who was in their state, and everybody was like, "Huh, that's interesting." Billy Napier goes to Florida, LSU makes a big swing, hires Brian Kelly. Kelly has done okay at LSU, but Napier has not gone well at Florida. So may- maybe LSU was right in ignoring the small state school uh, within small school within their state. So just to play devil's advocate here, let's sure. let's talk about the big names. Let's talk about Dabo Sweeney, Lincoln Riley. Would any of these would any of these make sense? Because I think hiring Dabo Sweeney would be a colossal mistake for Texas A&M. It would be the exact same situation you've got with Jimbo Fisher. Yes. Somebody on the downswing coming off of national championships. And with, with Dabo, you've had him publicly not adapt to the name image likeness world, the transfer portal world, the kinds of things Texas A&M needs to get to where it wants to go. So the idea of, hey, here's a coach making $10 million, won a couple national championships, Texas A&M, maybe they could hire him away. I actually don't think it would be a good idea. But... It's out there, Lincoln Riley. It's not going well, to be right now. Clemson doesn't. What's up? What does AM have that Clemson doesn't if you're Dabo Swinney? A lot uh, more resources. Clemson's got a lot without a doubt. Yeah, but, but also, a fair it, question. it also gets you into the SEC, right? If, if we're really going to be kind of tracking on where yes. these coaches and if there is like upward movement of like the good ACC and Big 12 coaches trying to get into the two leagues. And like again with the 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 money gap, like again, I know we're not really hyper focusing on that, but like that will be felt by the end of the decade, right? Like sure. it, it's going to build year over year with that with the resources there. But I, I'm with you completely, Chris. I think it would be very similar to Jimbo Fisher. You're also hiring someone really late in their career where they're very set in their ways about how they want to do stuff. Um, and you know, again, the NIL issue and transfers in general. Um, just not really adapting to where they are. Lincoln Riley is an interesting one. Do we know what his buyout is? No, it's is very it? high. Very high. Is, so is there, I mean, it's very high to fire him. For him to leave, I'm not sure actually. Okay, because I'm thinking like that would be also a huge mistake. But it would be interesting to see people make other bad financial decisions right now, considering how much money A and M just spent to get rid of Jimbo Fisher. The, I, I also kind of think at some point Lincoln Riley's going to want to take a stab at the NFL. So that's it's what like, I, is, so, he, but, is he committed? Would, would he do a decade at AM? I'd have a hard time seeing that. You know? But does the NFL want him? He's seven think, and seven in his last 14 games. 
They, Cliff they, Kingsbury got in it. Cliff Kingsbury got an NFL job off of being fired at Texas Tech. So yeah, and it, maybe it, it he hasn't well. lost. Maybe he hasn't lost enough yet to be considered, though. No. So what? Yeah. My point. And uh, legend Lincoln, Cliff Kingsbury, by the way. I mean, there's you know they could do the, worse than him. The Lincoln Riley thing. Um, I know this is a little tangential because I don't think we're, we think he's like a candidate here, but it's been really interesting to see how quickly that has flipped. And I saw so much talk about him being on a hot seat now. Um, after like you just said, seven and seven, the last, the last few games, Caleb Williams, clearly unhappy. Um, so that's just an interesting wrinkle to this because we yeah. talk about like, who's the hot names, who are these slam dunks? It was a huge win for USC to pry Lincoln Riley away from Oklahoma. And now just a couple seasons in so much grumbling about the state of the roster, the defense, uh, him as a leader, and they're going into the Big Ten. It's going to get harder. So and, you have to be and, a little and, careful yeah. about where what you wish for with some of the names that people like to toss around. And you also forgot to mention the bet that Ari has with Andy about USC making the playoff. I, I just the idea of Lincoln Riley leaving for Texas A&M is is funny, if only for the reason that Ari's going to have to respond to the notion of someone leaving a beachfront property in Los Angeles to go to College Station. Correct. Which is which left, is worth. After he left Norman. So we've mentioned we've mentioned Jeff Trailer. We've kind of touched a, a little bit on Mike Elko, Lance Leipold, Chris. You've covered him for a long time. Is that interesting to wrap your head around? him taking one of these jobs. Obviously he had a dynasty at whitewater six D three national titles, but he's been a fixer. He's been a builder in his time at Buffalo and Kansas. What would you think of him taking on a job like this? Yeah. By the way, you said six D three national titles, not 63 national titles in case anybody, excuse me. Yes, he does not. He has not won 63 national titles. In case he's, also anyone not, he's not 63 years old that. either, but um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. He's, he's a guy who, wants to get to the top. You know, he's a guy who's won at the highest level down there, finally got a stab at the higher levels, and he's constantly trying to build. He's done a great job at Kansas. They've got a lot of investment coming in. He's breathed life into that program that had not been there in more than a decade. The question is with Texas A&M, with him at Texas A&M, with anybody at Texas A&M is, can any of these guys sign top five recruiting classes? Because that's what you're going to need to win a national championship. It's the thing I keep coming back to. It's the thing I keep thinking about. If Ari was on this podcast, he would be saying Texas A&M is supposed to win the national title to compete for the national title, not just make the playoff, but get to the top. And can any of these guys get Texas A&M there? I don't know if Leipold can do that. But then again, Texas A&M has a really good NIL situation. They are at the forefront of, of all these types of things, pushing the envelope, doing all these different uh, things. It wasn't, you know, what Nick Saban said about buying an entire recruiting class and whatnot. It wasn't to that extent, but they are doing a very, very good job in that space. That will help no matter who the coach is, sign better recruiting classes than they ever have before. So that's 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 the question I have with any of these guys is can they get Texas A&M to where it feels it needs to go? All right, last thing before we get into a final recommendation. I asked you guys to each bring one sneaky good candidate for this job. For me, I would say Chris Kleiman at K-State would be one that is an interesting one to me, especially if you're if you're looking at kind of these program builders. I think I think what he's got going on at K-State is is the real deal and you know, he got to you know, he he won a Big 12 title uh, in year 4. Um, you know, he got to see Alabama in the Sugar Bowl last year. I bet that gets his competitive juices going a little bit in terms of playing with the big boys after winning four national titles as a head coach at North Dakota State. Plus, it's two great ag schools. It's not a not, not an uncomfortable transition for him. Who would be your sneaky good candidate that you want to throw out there? I will go with Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri. Ooh. Within the SEC, he is a coach who kind of came into the hot seat kind of this year, but 
he has shown that he can win big when he has the talent and when he has the talent advantage. When you have a Luther Burden and a couple of the guys Missouri got this year, what he did going, I think, 11-1 and one or something at App State the one year he was there. And if you're at Missouri, what is the ceiling for that job? They're 9-2 and two this year, top 10 team, but it's going to be harder moving forward. You've got Texas Oklahoma coming in. You know, he's probably at the ceiling of what you can do at Missouri. I, you, you want to talk about sneaky good hires under the radar type of new, I'm not saying he's interested or they're interested or anything, just picking a name that, that might fit. I would go with Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri. I think it'd be a lot of fun. He would talk a lot of trash. He would troll a lot of people yes. and he might win a lot of games. I like those picks. Um, and the, the name I'm going to throw out again, these are just, we're just picking them out of a hat. We're just a uh, search for him. We yeah, can throw these yeah. out there. That's how about okay. Jed, how about Jed fish? So we're talking about what a successful season he's had at Arizona kind of out of like they've really skyrocketed up. They're still alive in the Pac-12 race with one weekend to go. Hottest team in the United States of America. There's no uh, question. I really enjoy watching them, by the way, which matters. Like as we talk about sure. what gets people excited, right? No feed in the offense. But um, you talk about recruiting and who could recruit a top five class. Arizona's recruiting has gotten a lot better since Jed Fish has been there. Not that, I mean, the bar is low, right? It's not the not like this is world beaters, but we're talking about a coach who's really improved their stock this season and can recruit at a high level is motivated to recruit at a high level. Uh, I'm going to give you a jet fish. I've been impressed. Okay. okay. All right. Let's move on to final recommendation here. I lean Jeff trailer personally, but I'm open to, uh, I'm open to debate. Where are you guys at with this? I'm trailer. I, I, I'm I would sh- go all in on trailer here. And because I actually do think he would be able to recruit, top 10 type yes. of classes at Texas A&M. I think I, he I would think, be very excited about competing with and, and kicking the asses of Texas, Oklahoma, LSU, all these schools that you got to fight with in that job. Yes. I, he is a, I'm also, he is a very, yeah, he's very personable. He knows, he knows everybody. I think he would get the job done. He's done a remarkable UTSA was nothing before he got there. And they, yeah. he comes in and they instantly have like the three or four best seasons they've ever had. Like he's they, done a really good job. He's a legendary high school coach. He knows everybody. He knows how to work that state, work the donors. And I think it, I think it would really work. I agree. I'm all in. It's a unanimous recommendation. Um, right. I, okay. I just think, listen, guys who know the landscape don't always get the respect that they deserve for knowing the landscape. It's, it's really hard and it's uh, a huge part of this. And he also retained some of the best talent, by the way, Frank Harris staying at UTSA. Mm-hmm. That was big. Um, that's huge in this day and age. It's, it's, it's about managing who you're finding and who you're adding, but also maintaining relationships, keeping the right personnel. Uh, so yeah. All right. Our official recommendation. All right. And, and you know what experience at Arkansas experience at Texas, like, I don't think the transition for him is, is scary at all. And I think he would be freaking beloved by Aggies very quickly in that job. Culture Um, fit. And a lot of people would be deleting their posts on Texags about him after the hire because they would realize, oh, wait, yeah, this is this is good enough for us, for sure. Okay, we have opened up UTSA. Does anybody want to make a, a recommendation on what the Roadrunners uh, should do next? Um, Will Stein, offensive coordinator at Oregon, was mm-hmm. previously the offensive coordinator at UTSA uh, before this past year. He coached at Lake Travis. He's coached at Texas. He knows the area would be kind of a young up and comer type of guy. So that's, that's the first name that comes to mind for me. I I think very good chance. He's the OC at A&M in our scenario too. I think, I think that'd be an interesting decision for him. Yeah. But yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of 
good young up and coming coordinators that would have ties to one of the Texas programs, but certainly could be in the mix here. Um, but yeah, let's put him as our, our candidate. I, I, I like, uh, you know, the, I think the salary is pretty good on this one. I think Jeff trailers average is like 2.8 million. Um, what about GJ Kenny? The buyout's only 1.6 million. I think UTSA would get like 7 million if a uh, trailer could he get wins a, for this job. Could he get a, could he get a bigger job? Mm, I don't know about question. that. There's no, six and five. It's been, it's been a good year. He's only been a coach for two years, one year at Texas yeah. State. Um, yeah. but, but like if you, but like if Houston opened, like he might get a look there. Sure. Depending on or like in things. a year, maybe, you know, he, he's only making 800 though at Texas state. Um, so it'd be a big jump in terms of what you could potentially make it easy to say. I also think this job would attract a lot of power five coordinators like a Garrett Riley could one of those kind of guys could be a good fit here too. I've got a question for you guys. Just talking out loud, Kansas OC, Andy, I always say it wrong. Um, what about him as a head coaching candidate in this cycle? Yeah. Yeah. I could, I could absolutely. I can a lot see of group it. of five spots he could fit in. Okay. So okay. Yeah. Well, one thing we didn't talk about him really much on AM, but real quick, Mike Elko uh seemed like an obvious for a lot of people for AM, very much in there, coach there, doing well at Duke. Uh I think we would still all are we all going with trailer over Elko though? I am. We are, and I think we can you want to leave uh, Elko as potentially a candidate for this next one, Chris? Yeah, I think let's right. talk he, about it. He was gonna come up in the next one. Okay, yeah. so let's move on to Michigan State. Chris is alma mater. I think it's uh, it's an interesting one because much like last year with Nebraska and Wisconsin, when the job's open for several months, you have a chance to study the landscape and kind of the, all the relevant coaches kind of see how their seasons go up and down. Um, Chris, let's start with you. W- what does it take to win here? And what is the big question for you when it comes to this job? There are a lot of big questions. I've, I'm actually working on a big story this week about Michigan State, where it is, where it wants to go. Um, it, you win here by overachieving. Uh, that's what Mark Antonio did. It's what Nick Saban did. Uh, you're never going to be on the level of Michigan, Ohio State, and probably Oregon and USC when it comes to resources. So you have to find someone who can do more with a little bit less. Now, they can pay big. Mel Tucker was making $9.5 million. There are more donors involved. They're trying to make steps forward in a lot of that spot. But they also are a bit behind in NIL. It's a bit disconnected. They've got a couple different collectives. They're not exactly on the same page. And so that's something the next coach is going to need to kind of reset, which is the whole plan. Um, so this is a job that should compete for the Big Ten, should compete for the 12-team playoff. I think Some fans think they should compete for the national championship because of what they were paying Tucker. I don't think that's a realistic possibility. People in the program don't think that's a realistic possibility. But it is a place that has gone to four BCS CFP New Year's six games in the last decade. They won a Rose Bowl, won a Cotton Bowl, made the playoff, and they won a Peach Bowl. So you can win big here. And I think this clearly is the number two job on the market. It might be the number two job on the market by the end of the cycle when it's all done Mm. as well. So it's a good job, but there are challenges. I have thought this is super interesting, obviously, ever since it opened. Um, in part because of what I was just talking about, about how are we going to see the landscape possibly change or shift post realignment? So I think, you know, as you look at candidates for this job and Chris, I think you correctly identified like that top, top tier of the big, the new big 10 Michigan state's in that next grouping, right. Uh, Of schools that, you know, will pay, will have resources. will have, you know, like the big 10's not like the most comfortable in the NIL world, but like, 
this will be no. one yeah. of the fan bases that will put in the effort there um, and can be a really good developmental program. And I don't mean that as a negative, but like they developed a lot of guys into NFL players in the Mark D'Antonio era. I think that's a really smart way to, um, to continue to do it as well as obviously wanting to reach a little bit higher, but it was Mark D'Antonio reaching higher in that recruiting class taking guys that they normally wouldn't that ultimately led to some of the the downfall at the end of his tenure. So I think from the beginning in my conversations with people around this program, I was told not to expect any surprises. Like this was not going to, we're not going to go outside the box here. They were going to look for head coaching experience, uh, program builders, the, the types of candidates that we all initially thought that they would look at. Those are the types of candidates that they are looking at. Um, and I think that makes all the sense in the world, especially coming off of Mel Tucker, the hoopla, everything around the salary, the contract, and also like the way that he conducted and branded himself. I think that was all a bit much. I think they're going to reverse course and look back for someone who can just do it in a consistent way and find the right guys, find the right culture. And so I think about when we talk about a Mike Elko, I know we're going to talk about him. I think he's like a perfect candidate for this job. This is someone who has won, has spent most of his career, again, outside of A&M and Notre Dame. He's been places where he has not had the most talented roster in the league that he's coached in and has always had to maximize, which like I've talked to him about that and about how when you win because you have talent, maybe all the little things aren't quite buttoned up. But when you have to squeeze out the most from every single player and every scheme, mm. and like we talk about his defense, right? And how the way that he, you know, is on first down versus second down and third down and like all the analytics, that's all the same brain, right? He's an incredibly smart thinker. And it's because he's trying to squeeze as much as possible. And I think you need to do that at Michigan State. But I'm also interested in a guy like Jonathan Smith. Uh, Jake Dickert was on a lot of people's candidates list early on in this search because they don't have a schedule yet. Oregon State and Washington State don't know what they're playing next season. So that would be as much as you're like, okay, it's your alma mater, Jonathan Smith. I think people would understand looking at this as a, a step up, certainly in your career. But I also think that way from a Duke, from some of these other schools that we think about, um, if you're looking again to try to get into the Big Ten and get into the SEC in a job that, again, is kind of in that second pool, second tier within the conference, like that's why this is such a it's almost like a litmus test for some of my theories about like the new world order post this round of realignment because of where it's situated and that it has had success, but hasn't had like that recent high, high level of success. So I go program builder. I go the guys that have won in hard places. Mm -hmm. And one other thing that I think is interesting about a Jonathan Smith type candidate, and you guys could jump in on this and tell me if it matters at all. But being the second school in a state and understanding that dynamic really well, I, I think that could matter because, you know, we talk a lot, Chris, you and I, because, you know, of where we went to school about that dynamic and the little brother comments and the backlash, the pride before the fall, all of that. But understanding that actual dynamic of being, you know, kind of that 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 little brother in a state to a bigger um, a school that has had more tradition, more success, has better resources. Like Jonathan Smith has lived in that world next to Oregon and they're having a fantastic season. He's built within that constraint. 
So, so there, there are kind of two By the way, camps. You, you could say the same thing about Lance Leipold at Kansas to some degree. You could say the same thing about Matt Campbell at Iowa State. I think there's some yeah. Yeah. out there who've been in that spot. Now, Chris, you, you, you made your list when this job first opened in September, right? So I'm curious how different your list looks today. There are two camps of people in terms of what feel like Michigan State needs. Some people feel like they need the program builder, the D'Antonio, the, the overachiever, and that type of stuff. But there are other people more connected with the collectives that are like, no, we need to be all in on NIL, need to be able to recruit top 20 classes, need to be all in on the portal and do that stuff. So it's an interesting kind of pull and pull, push and pull of yeah. what Michigan State needs. But I've been told Alan Haller, the AD, has full control of this. He's been entrusted in it. The donors aren't being involved, but I know that that is something that certain people feel like they need. They need to take a big swing, need to get somebody who's going to do that as opposed to the guy who just does more with less because it's always been a job that does that but can also reach the highest. I don't remember exactly who I put down at the beginning of this, but I, I would suspect it's most of the names we're still hearing now other than Jed Fish, who came out of nowhere really this mm-hmm. season. Um, I've been told, other people have reported among the finalists uh, right now are Jonathan Smith at Oregon State, Jed Fish at Arizona, uh, Mike, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Jason Candle at Toledo, and Leipold, Lance Leipold. Uh, he was is, is believed to be among the finalists as well. There might be a couple others, but that's what it's down to. And this is probably going to wrap up within the next week or two. Mm-hmm. So those are all names. They're just waiting again, on a recommendation. You know, yes, those are the names other than fish. I think we all expected when the job came open and it has played out as such. Mike Elko possibility, like you said, would seem to be a good fit for a lot of reasons. A lot of fans liked him. Pat McAfee made a comment on college game day when they were at Duke about Michigan State when the job was open, um, but haven't heard his name around it as much recently. So but, but I think that's the group. Do you, do you think is there? This is a very fluid situation with the pack two. If you're Jonathan Smith, I, I imagine there's a little bit of sensitivity to say the least about bailing on your alma mater as they're heading into whatever 2024 looks like. I'm sure you could say the same for, for Jake Dickert. And he's, he's come out very emotionally about, you know, how he feels about the situation there. And like, is it hard for you to see that happening, Nicole, or do you think that it, the reverse is true that like, maybe these guys kind of have to take these jobs? I, I think you, you, I think you seriously consider it. And I think you can take the job and have to defend it because I think you're doing as much as you possibly can do right now to keep your program in a good place. Your athletic directors, your president, they're fighting for it. Like I've watched all of these legal proceedings, which have spent taken many hours off my life that I will never get back. And that's why we're a full service search firm, by the way. We will watch these hearings. We we know the law. This this job forces us to know the law, you know? We've got all the contracts. We've gone through all of them. We've gone through all the contracts. I've read read the discovery. Um, We've looked at the bylaws about what a conference can exist at and whether or not you lose AQ access. the TV contracts. We got it all here. Yeah, which they also don't have. So, again, I think that you can... Like, would you, do you think that if, if you're Jonathan Smith, by this logic, and again, I understand they're in a really challenging specifically right now situation. Do you, is, is this different than just ever leaving your alma mater? Like, it, would this feel it, worse? It's, yeah, it would. But it's also, like, yeah. it's not just his alma mater. He took them to a Fiesta Bowl as a player after they had to, like, 
30 but, straight losing seasons or something like that. Like right, he is an but, integral part of this program's history. And when he interviewed for the job, he wore his Fiesta Bowl ring into it just to kind of remind people of what he can do here. That I'm so that's, yeah, it, that's yeah. part of what I'm saying. I think you can, I think there obviously people would be very hurt by this, but I also think you could understand that him, that he needed to leave and take a job right now and that the state of like the, the, the industry and his coaching career could depend on it. If you don't know what your schedule is going to be, or if you're going to be on broadcast television next year, and you might have to play FCS teams to fill your schedule, like it might have to be now for him. And I think you look at the resources. Also, we're like, are we getting that answer before the carousel's over? Like, Possibly pretty not. soon. It's well, they're they're almost done. They're working with the mountain. But West. I mean, a full it's schedule different. put together for next uh, year. May, maybe. Well, I think they already it. have non-conference games on the schedule. They okay. just need yeah, to figure full out the schedule. conference yeah. part of but it. But also, media yeah. rights piece again. That stuff could be worked out. It's not the same as a Pac-12 schedule as you've had with Oregon State. Sure. You're coming off a season where you you up to number eleven in the CFP rankings in play for year six. You just had an incredible bowl game last year, like ten wins, all this stuff that that you've achieved. Um it's a real test of again, like loyalty to a place where, you know, that's meant a lot to you that you've helped take to new levels, but also doing what's best for you and your career. And that this is like you have been building up to being considered for jobs like this and opportunities like this. And you would be in again, an upper half job in the big 10 and secure your own financial future. So, so to me, I think you can defend it. I think it will be a very challenging. It would be a very challenging decision to make if that's the candidate. But I think that he's done an, a remarkable job at a place that is really, really hard to, to win He's last year wasn't a fluke. He's built on it, built on it this season. He's hired really good coaches under him. And I think this season, what he's been able to do with the uncertainty, with everything else being left behind by the rest of your conference, even and more of an incredible coaching job. And I think he'd be a great fit at Michigan State. I think he would be exactly the type of coach that um that can build and sustain and also seems to really have a good grasp. Like I think the portal is an interesting conversation around Michigan state mm -hmm. because yep. Mel Tucker got so much praise for it, for hitting on Kenneth Walker. And then you saw it not work. And then you saw people take the best players out of Michigan state's team, including Keon Coleman, who is a semifinalist for the Blitnikoff award. Um, I think that you need to approach the portal much more like Mike Norvell, who I think is actually the model of what you want out of the portal, which is you're you're, you're supplementing. You're, you're finding spots of need. You are not trying to flip a ton of players every year and a bunch of starters every year. And not seeding Midwest and, recruiting to be. Yeah, and, right. and not having a sustained culture because you're turning over too much. And he's also, Mel also turned over too much staffers. But like, you need to be a lot smarter. And I think you need to be looking at coaches who've used the portal that way. And I think Oregon State has. Can we throw out a Chip Kelly lifeline, Chris? Do we want to? Oh, uh, here's a here's a sneaky good one. I, I can't believe we forgot to mention him up top. Urban Meyer. I mean, that's happening yeah. any day now. I think if okay. you talk to the Michigan State fans on Twitter, which by the way, that was not happening. That was never happening. We told you that was never happening. It's how about a, how about would you would you be open to like a Brian Hartline? Like just let him cook in recruiting and build an experienced staff around him. You want to go go like risky on that direction? There, there yes, th that's a great pick for a sneaky good candidate. He's yeah. Unbelievable recruiter keeps putting guys in the NFL. The drawbacks, I would say, Ohio State's offense this year, not that great. 
He's still a very young guy, has only coached at Ohio State. It's a lot easier to pitch Ohio State than it is maybe Michigan State, but that's a good... But that program's going to have 10 good receivers if, if Brian Hartline takes over. There's no <laughs> and Nothing else. That. It's just going to be receivers. <laughs> Final recommendation here. Jonathan Smith, he was my pick from the beginning okay. because he knows how to do more with less. He's a very smart offensive mind. He's done the second team in the state thing, like you said. Oregon State, by the way, arguably the toughest job in the Power Five. Like It's right up there with Washington State and another job that we'll get to here in a minute. Uh, so he has done a really good job there. He, he fits everything that Michigan State wants to do. He can develop quarterbacks. He's done a very good job with that. And I think that would make the most sense. Also, by the, by the way, Jonathan Smith, the most normal head coach you will ever meet. If, mm-hmm. if, if you've ever met him, I went up to Corvallis last year and sat down in his office. He's just wearing like a plain black sweater, nothing Nike, no brand, no Oregon State branding stuff, just the normal stuff. And then when you start talking about the books that he's reading, I think he had some on his iPad or something like that. Just not a, not the kind of conversation you have with a typical football coach, extremely down to earth, normal dude. That doesn't mean you win or lose. I just wanted to get that out there for people who aren't familiar with him. Uh, he's a unique guy and that he's normal. I love when we can highlight normal coaches. Um, like that's part of my that was yes. part of my selling point with Matt Rule was like you can have a normal conversation with him. Just There's do no, the right like, thing. Yep. Yeah, and and like yeah, just do the right thing. Hire the right guy. I would also go with Jonathan Smith. You could if if anyone if if the majority of you guys had said Lance Leipold or Elko, I would also agree. I think that to me, no, we got to pick all... one, and we, we haven't we haven't argued yet over who they should are. We've no. agreed on everything. In fact, my yeah, I wrote down here for my final recommendation. I wrote down. <laughs> Defer to Vanini. I think Elko would be a phenomenal hire as well, but I also don't know if he's willing to leave Duke right now or what the level of, again, engagement on this search has been with him. Um, So either one of them, I think, would be, yeah. All right, because you guys have ripped away Oregon State's head coach in an extremely vulnerable moment. um, I didn't. I just deferred to you guys. Um, Who's coming in to rescue the Beavers? Ryan Grubb, offensive coordinator at Washington. Ooh. He's done a really good job. You got turned two down this Al- there, which is encouraging. Keep going. Turned down Alabama uh, to stay at Washington because they knew that they what they were going to do. They're, I think, 22-2 and two now since he got there. Michael Penix Jr., Heisman Trophy candidate. He will be in the mix for a lot of jobs. I think Boise State, I think San Diego State make a lot of sense. And maybe you prefer those jobs, again, because of the unknown with Oregon State. Like, it could be a tough spot. But Ryan Grubb, name I would keep an eye on if Oregon State opens. And the other would be Brian Lindgren, the current offensive coordinator, potentially an internal promotion. Done a really good job there as well. Okay, I accept those offerings. That's solid. Let's move on to Mississippi State. Um, I think the big question on this one, they gave Zach Arnett one year after the sudden passing of Mike Leach. Let, less, less than a year. Yeah, technically, calendar-wise, less than a year. That is true. Um, to me, question, do they need head coach experience this time? Zach Arnett um, got less than a year. Uh, clearly a little bit more of an audition this year in terms of whether he's the right guy. Joe Moorhead, short stint. He'd been a head coach before at Fordham, um, but had not done that it. That was a bad level. fit. Bad fit. Could have seen that coming. True. We weren't it, the firm like, on it, that one. The firm of record. It was, uh, but like he still went to like two bowl games in two years. It wasn't oh, sure. that bad. He didn't go like three. No, I just, I just mean like that was one where I think we all saw him like, huh? Okay. Yeah. Look, yeah, when, when someone's punching wise. a quarterback in bowl practice, it's probably not a good thing. 
You don't, you don't love to see that. Um, Dan Mullen was only an OC for four years before Greg Byrne hired him for this job. He did very well. Uh, Sylvester Croom was primarily an NFL assistant. Um, do we think that uh, Zach Selman, the, the young new AD here, does he need someone that's a lot more proven this time? I would say you don't need it, but you need someone who does things a little bit differently. That is what has been successful at Mississippi State. This is probably the worst job in the SEC. Second worst job, but better than Vanderbilt. You got to do something just different here. And, and, and that's what Dan Mullen was able to do, develop quarterbacks like Dak Prescott and some other people. Um, when Mike Leach did things differently. It, it worked pretty well there. You know, like, you know, you're probably not going to, you're not going to probably win the SEC here, especially in the new SEC, but yeah, if you look at their schedule for next year, culture? by the way, it's kind of it's kind of interesting looking at what the 24 schedule is for Mississippi State. It's very split east-west, but it's Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, Texas, Texas A&M, and Ole Miss. Yeah, like you're just you're just you're trying to get to bowl games right now, and yeah. maybe every once in a while get to the playoff. I, I think that's the only realistic thing you could do. And I think a lot of jobs like Mississippi State, like Indiana's, like Purdue's, like you're gonna not love being in a giant 16 to 18 team conference because it's getting that much harder to get anywhere near the top and your schedule is going to get a lot tougher and Mississippi State is in that boat. Why are we not going all in on variations of the triple offense? A triple option Be- offense. Because, because you know, like... No, I was going to say, well, I was going to answer your question, but keep going. <laughs> no, I, have, I just want to go a little further. So, like, obviously, like, I've been a Jeff Munkin fan for a while and, you know, he's interviewed for different jobs at different places still at army, but we've seen coaches like a Jamie Chadwell and some of these other coaches that have an offense that is very heavily reliant on option principles win at a high level. It's, it's interesting. People will watch it. I feel like we are a little bit removed from the Khalil Tate. Like I'm not playing in the triple option. Ken Niamatololo tweets, mm. but people still don't want to hire. Okay, I know, Chris. You're going to counter. We're, this. we're definitely not away from that. I, we're, I, I don't think we're. That is okay, still well, very. We're still much talking about it. In, so in, yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, also, I mean, <laughs> years wise, like years why we're 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 further away from it. But here's the thing: like, what about a Jamie Chadwell offense? Like, what can't that that can work, right? So maybe not Munkin, maybe not like a a true like a service academy triple, but. Is that that's the type of different we're talking about here, right? Like a Jamie Chadwell type offense, something that is different and unique to prepare for. Okay, yes. Chris, you can, oh, tell, by you the can, way, by you the can way. shoot down the triple option right now. Go well, ahead. I was going to say the reason they aren't moving to the triple option is one, kids don't like it, donors don't like it, and the rules have I'm changed. I'm saying like a tr- like a full the, triple option. No, no, I'm no, saying right, like well, principles. You, you that was going to be my that was going to be my answer before you expand. Why pie, shouldn't but, we give this job to Paul Johnson? Go, Chris. <laughs> but. <laughs> I look, Paul Johnson did a good job there um, at Georgia mm-hmm. Tech. He but, um, and you see it at Army. Army changed their offense this year. There are now the uh, the gun option, essentially, is what they're called. And it's very mixed results. They're five and six right now. They went six and six last year. They may not make a bowl game because they play two FCS teams. So it's like, you know, they keep changing the blocking rules downfield, outside the tackle box. It's very hard to run that specific offense. But you're right. Jamie Chadwell's spread option offense or whatever you want to call it is really good. And it's been very effective. He's 11 and 0 at Liberty right now. And Caden Salter is, has some of the best uh, pass efficiency numbers yeah. in the country. Um, 
Top 10 scoring well, offense this season. Top five right and 21 when they're at Coastal. I mean, Grayson I feel like he's... Grayson McCall's Grayson McCall set the FBS record for QB efficiency uh, two years ago. So, like, yeah, yeah it, it definitely works. It's fun. That's the kind of thing, yes, that, like, Mississippi State doing something like that, I think, would work. I, okay, I so. imagine we're all fairly aligned on Jamie Chadwell for this one. We should talk about the rest of the candidates, but yes. you know, he's 46. He's extremely likable. He's a Tennessee native. So I don't think he's going to feel out of place in the sec. Obviously he felt that he had to make a move this last offseason to be taken more seriously for jobs like this. 11 and 0 at Liberty yep. um, has won 110 games as a head coach at five different programs. So pretty Pretty proven. I mean, a, four, a, a, a top 15 finish at Coastal in 2020, I know, is the COVID year, but that's a pretty insane accomplishment. John Summer, like I said, at Troy, 21 and four and two seasons, Sunbelt champs last year, have a chance to do it again this year. Um, he's worked under some really good program builders, Mark Stoops, Neil Brown. Um, I've heard nothing but good things about him. We've got Barry Odom at UNLV, the comeback yeah, kid, went 25 and 25 at Missouri, but is yeah. nine and two this year. Uh, in ways that uh, none of us can really wrap our heads around, but they're doing it. It's and that's happening. a place that's like never been good. This is, they've only been in one never. bowl game in 20 years. Correct. Um, Correct. That is, that is not a layup job. Wait, wait, wait I actually, should we, should we recommend this just so we could recommend someone going from Vegas to Stark Vegas? I think that oh, would yeah, be, I'm intrigued oh. by, uh, I just think that's, that's the pitch. You just there, say no, that's just, that's just culture game. fit. 100%. I, I, I um, thought I thought you were going to say then the UNLV job opens and we recommend Ari for that job. Oh, mm. I that's interesting. I, I mean, we let's come back <laughs> to that possibility. Um, I do think Barry Odom would probably be on the list uh, for Mac Rhodes at Baylor if that job were to open too. They've got mm-hmm. a, a long history together. Um, there's Joe Judge. He was a, f- a finalist for this or a candidate for this a couple of years ago. Um, went twenty, went ten and twenty three with the New York Giants. Anybody else you guys feel like these are the obvious kind of known candidates? Jeff Lebby, offense coordinator at or- at Oklahoma, because yep. he has a connection with Zach Selma, the AD. Uh, yep. They overlapped at Oklahoma, so there is a bit of that. Yep. Lebby. So does Shane Beamer, which Shane Beamer has said he's not interested in this job. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. It wouldn't and really I make think sense. South Carolina is yeah. better. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mullen has said he hasn't really talked to anybody. He said probably not coming back. Uh, Willie Fritz, Tulane, definite definite candidate for this job. He almost took Georgia tech last year, but they were kind of cheap on the money. He and the is, timing last year was bad. Yeah. Yep. He's now yeah. 22 and three over the last two years, really got it rolling. Uh, and like trailer, Michael Pratt, the quarterback may be gone next year one way is, or another. It may be a good time to get out uh, as well. Is Willie Fritz um, a big enough selling point? I like think is he, is he I, too old? Is the offense not exciting can, enough? Can I throw this? Might surprise you guys. If Leipold were to leave for one of these jobs, I feel like that's a no-brainer for Kansas. Yeah. Oh, I think Willie he's Fritz, like. A, oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, don't even I run mean, a search. Go get Willie oh, Fritz. If yeah. You're Kansas. No, but I mean, I I thought Northwestern should have you know kicked the tires there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and I'm not saying they didn't, but they obviously hired internally. But um, I. Love Willie Fritz. I think he he's done a remarkable job. But I I wonder, you know, as an SEC program, do you worry about hiring the Tulane coach? Is that not like sexy enough? I I think it's fine when you look at the record and you look at him beating mm-hmm. USC last year. Um, and there's a chance. I mean, we'll see what they do against UTSA this week. But they could be playing for another conference championship. Could be going to the Peach Bowl. You know. All right. So by, who's by our the, by the time you make our, the hire? So who's our rec here? I was going to throw think, my my sneaky one is Glenn Schumann at Georgia, but I imagine you know thirty three year old with with no, you know no head coach experience. That's probably tough mm-hmm. for for this opportunity. Um, 
I would go Chadwell. What do you guys think? Yeah. But, oh, by the way, my sneaky good, uh, Rhett Lashley. I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I think he may hang on there because SMU is now going to be a power five job. Got a lot of money. Arkansas is not opening this year. Uh, but if, if a sneaky candidate to throw out, throw out there, he would be one. But in terms of number one choice, I'm with you guys, Jamie Chadwell as well. Yeah. Jamie Chadwell is making $4 million a year at Liberty, which makes that job extremely appealing. Right, Chris? I mean, w- yes. you could hire a sitting head coach with that kind of money. Um, where, where would you go? If Jamie Chadwell takes this job, uh, where should Ian McCaw go with that one? I'm not sure. I actually have not thought about this as much. I'm trying to remember. I, I know they thought. Do you just go I, I, I Jeff Levy and just continue the Baylor connection? There is, there is, a, a, there connection. is a connection there. Yeah. It, it, it is not going to be Art Briles. I know people thought that last year. Talked to people around That's, Liberty. It was not going to be the case. There was kind of some, there was kind of like some Tom Allen, Kane Womack talk last year. It was year. talk of Tom Allen because they thought he was, it, it was a reason to get out. He's a he, very religious coach. It would, it would fit a lot there. Yeah. Tom Allen. Yeah. Okay. I pulled up last year's Tom Allen, one to watch. Um, what about Tom Allen this year? Could could be as well. Uh, Gene Chizik done a good job at North Carolina this year. Uh, Chris Thompson, Florida State tight ends coach. Feeling good about Mississippi State. Let's move on to our final one, Syracuse, which just opened on Sunday. Uh, Dino Babers got eight years on this job, lasted a lot longer than than most in this business get to. He went forty one and fifty five. The peak was a ten win season in twenty eighteen. They got wrecked by COVID with a one and ten year in twenty twenty. Their AD John Wildhack said on Monday the benchmark is this year was seven and five, which doesn't sound unfair, and they couldn't get it done. A lot of November collapses uh, during this tenure. Yes. Uh, my big question for you guys: we touched on this topic a little bit. Is this the worst Power Five head coaching job? Well, we'd have to say Power Four now because otherwise you might say Oregon State. Yeah, I do. State, I mean, do we totally reset the list on that with like where yeah, Cal Stanford, yeah. Oregon State, Washington State are next year? Like, yes, yes. Yeah. In, in yeah, which and- case, yeah. If you're not including Oregon State and Washington State, I would say probably yes we, to this one. We did when we did a we did our poll. Was that last year, Chris? When we asked people hardest jobs two years ago, two years ago, because a lot of the arguments against UMass and UConn were in part because of independence, but also regionally. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot about that, about trying to sell recruits on coming to Syracuse. You don't have, there's not a ton of um, like high, high level football talent in your vicinity. Um, it's, it's just a really hard job, but I will say, and we're, we're also going to see from a basketball standpoint in a post Jim Beheim era about how that is as a basketball job. Um, but what I will say is that eight years with the types of seasons that Dino Babers had, it shows a lot of patience. Like that is yeah, it's generous. Yeah, it's generous. It's um, it's it's not the the highest of expectations, um, and you are going to make decent money. I mean, like you're making you know what you make in the ACC or whatever it is. But like between Syracuse and Boston College, I would take Boston College. Like you're in Boston and you have some history there. And and I mean, again, not not super recent history, but. Uh, so yeah, I think I think you could put Syracuse last. I think that it's a really hard place to win. Also, they are very behind in NIL. Mm-hmm. Dino Babers has said many times, "Look, we have no depth because it gets bought away in the portal." They've they had a very public public spats with their 
big donor. They, they had a top yes. donor say in the spring that he wasn't going to donate to NIL anymore because the school didn't like the high profile nature of which he was doing things. There's a name that has popped up on a few of your lists this year that obviously he's he's had a, a pretty, pretty interesting year. Where are we at with Sean Lewis? Mm. Yes, I like this question. It's uh it's mixed. It's depends who you ask. I, I think most people say, look, Deion Sanders, you can't be demoting your offensive coordinator eight games into the season when you're scoring 30 points a game. I did talk to some people that said, look, you know, Sean Lewis's offense, it's not conducive to helping out your defense. It's 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 hard to do complimentary football, and maybe Sean Lewis wasn't running the ball as much as they want to. That was just a theory, to which I replied. If you hire Sean Lewis, you're getting the Sean Lewis offense. What did you expect? Yeah. Uh, so so that yeah. may be more about Dion. But he was at Kent State. He went 24 and 31. But that non-conference schedule every year included three power five games. So they have no chance there. He was 18 and 10 in Mac play over the last four years. And he took them to three consecutive non-losing seasons for the first time since 1972 to 74, including a division title. So... Kent State may be the worst job in all of the FBS, and he did pretty good there. So I, I think that makes him can be appealing for like some group of five jobs. I I have him on the Syracuse list because he coached there. He was on Dino Babers' first two staffs. Is that advantageous um, or is that disadvantageous that he's got the, the Babers connection? Well, also the big year Dino had happened actually the year after Sean Lewis left, I believe. Yeah. Um yeah. So I think it, I think it's it helpful it to understand the landscape there like yeah like like a stat i always come back to one third about one third of all fbs head coaches have previous experience at their school either as a player or a coach or whatever so that's why when you have a connection to a school it can get you in the door at least to have a conversation let me just throw out some names here go for it and you guys you guys go with whatever you want sean lewis alex atkins florida state offense coordinator toledo head coach jason candle Holy Cross head coach Bob Chesney, uh, James Madison head coach Kurt Signetti, Notre Dame defense coordinator Al Golden, Army head coach Jeff Monken, Florida State defense coordinator Adam Fuller, New England Patriots offense coordinator Bill O'Brien, uh, and New Orleans Saints offensive line coach Doug Marone, former head coach at Syracuse. Uh, what, anybody what about stand the out wizard, there for you guys? Uh, What about the wizard down in Las Cruces? Uh, Jerry kill. I did have him on my list as a possibility as well. I forgot to mention him. Um, he has coached kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. He literally is, everywhere. Uh, li- uh, this dude should be national coach of the year to win nine games in New Mexico state. You have no, yeah. I take it back. This is the hardest job in all of, uh, <laughs> FBS. It's New Mexico state. It's not Kent state. You got, you got Ohio high school football at Kent state. You don't got to put it in perspective. In seven and six in year one was unbelievably impressive. Yes, they had made one bowl game in like 60 years, and he's gone to two in two years. Um, but he, but he's 62. He's 62. He's still dealing with health issues. He has periodically had to step away for a couple of days, even this year at New Mexico State. That could be a hard sell, but Jerry Kill's just going to keep doing this. Um, this is what he wants to do with his life, and he keeps winning, so it's fair. First of all, I would say what, what Kurt Signetti has done at James Madison is extremely impressive. He's 51 and 9 there. Um, the way that they, it, it speaks to what kind of program you've built that you can make the transition to FBS and to Sunbelt, which Sunbelt's got good coaches, good programs, and to be as successful as they've had right away. Um, it's easy to like get hung up on 
this, you know, how unfair it is that, you know, they couldn't be in the postseason, all this stuff. But like, let's not forget, like just what they're doing is like pretty crazy. I mean, it's so if, if he's willing to have that conversation, uh, I think is the AD, I think that's an interesting one to call. I think, you know, Jason Candle's also putting together a terrific year at Toledo and um, as a guy that's, again, been up for for jobs in the past, even considered the OC job at Miami um, when Cristobal went there, just in case maybe like Sean Lewis, maybe you got to make a move before you can get one of these jobs. Um, I think those would be two pretty interesting places to start, but I certainly understand that uh, the East Coast ties uh, for recruiting and it, it, not an easy place to recruit. I can understand that being a, a, a pretty superior factor here. What do you think, Nicole? Yeah, like that's where I was thinking as I thought a little bit more about Al Golden um, and, and his trajectory, his career, his background. Um, but you guys know I'm a Jeff Munkin fan. I would love to see someone take a shot on him and see what he could do at the Power 5 level and how he would adapt um, You know the option principles and those different things. And that's a unique challenge of trying to recruit to a service academy. Um so I don't know if I have a strong recommendation. This one's obviously been on the market the shortest amount of time. Um, but those would be two that I would I would be very intrigued by for different reasons. My sneaky good would maybe be Adam Fuller at Florida State, who has has had a few East Coast jobs. I'm just so impressed by what they've done there. I think that I- uh, it, there's there's some real recruiting prowess that they've shown off down uh, in Tallahassee. Is there any other sneaky ones? Chris, I know well, you just put this yeah. list together. So you, that's been on your yeah, I wanted to I wanted to shout out the other coordinator from Florida State on the list as well. Um, I was yep. just down there a couple of weeks ago, spent time with both of them. Um, mm-hmm. And Alex Atkins is awesome. He's just such a normal dude as well. We talked about like pointing out normal people. Um, I think that he does things a little bit differently and someone's going to have to take a shot on him to make him a head coach. But like I first got to know him when he was OC at Charlotte. He's not calling the plays of Florida State because Mike Norvell does that. Um, But like he's been a huge part of their turnaround. um, And I I think he'd be a great head coach somewhere. Uh, Again, I don't know how outside the box Syracuse is going to go on this hire um, because I think he'd be a little bit of an outside the box hire. But I think he'd be a phenomenal choice somewhere. Let's make a pick here. So my pick is actually something we haven't talked about. Al Golden, defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. I talked about him. A little bit. Did you ignore me? I didn't ignore you, but we didn't really get into him. He turned Temple (laughs) from nothing into a good job that Adazio and Matt Rule eventually took off. And he... um, did like okay at Miami, not great. And he's currently at Notre Dame back in college football. He knows the Northeast. He knows how to work with, do more with less. My pick for this job right now is Al Golden. You guys may have different picks. Or are we going to actually have one we disagree with here? Can we get him back in the suit in, in, as a head coach? Absolutely. Without okay. the yes. jacket. Little sweat. Little sweat. I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm open to being swayed here. I, I've been, I've been impressed by. I've been really impressed by Jason Candle, and I think they're they're I think he's a good guy to bet on in what he's done there at Toledo. But I understand Syracuse is is not like every other job. And uh and and as we've seen from um Greg Shiano coming back to Rutgers, like that cachet probably would be really helpful in terms of stabilizing things. Nicole? Yeah, I think I'm I'm I mean Nicole, again, have you I'll, have I'll you even it. heard of Al Golden? Yeah, this is the first time that I've heard it on this podcast. <laughs> wow, thank Go you, on. Chris, for bringing him up. That was totally new and interesting. Um, what a great, what a great we, idea! Northeast we didn't ties. go, we didn't, we didn't go that deep but, in him as all. But I, I said that the Northeast tie. 
please. I was alluding to him all along. Um, okay. Is this the so, one you like? No. I, I think I would right now. Yeah. I think that's where I would go. Um, I also, again, I will advocate for someone giving Munkin a shot, trying something different. I think that Syracuse could be the kind of place. But again, if you go with a little bit more like of what people would expect, then I think Al Golden's the guy with the ties to the area, experience at all the different levels and all the different places that he's had. So I, I think I would go with Golden. Also, I think it's I okay do, that we agree on our recommendations. The whole point well, is was, to yeah. have a consensus recommendation. Well, I, I also want to bring say, up, have you guys heard of Alex Atkins at Florida State? I think that guy is really... <laughs> um, I, actually, I actually don't think... I, I'm Max, just messing right, with you, Nicole. Um, I will say, was, yeah. people, if, if whoever hires Alex Atkins, they will not regret it. I'll just say that. It yeah. doesn't have to be this job. But Syracuse does not recruit Ohio very much, and you can make the case that they should. And Jason Candle spent his entire career there. Th- that that's another case to make for Jason Candle as well. So um, I could get behind Candle. We are we going uh, golden? I think we go golden and we go Candle one B. One A. I will lean. I'll, I'll go out golden then. Oh, then we don't have to. We don't have to recommend a new hire. Not a that's head true. That's true. That's that's more. That's more coordinator change for Marcus Freeman. That's probably not great, but. Uh, you know, I wasn't thinking Al Golden went in, but you guys kind of you, you kind of sold me on it. I think I Chris sold did. you on it. I don't. Yeah, I think Chris Nicole did. did a very good job of selling you on it. <laughs> yeah, it was all Chris. It was all Chris. Wow, this is going to lead to the <laughs> disillusion of our uh, <laughs> of our firm. The, after the just firm? Four <laughs> Power hours going solo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so final vote here. Yes, Golden. 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 Al Golden. All right, we're golden. Okay, that's that's four searches. Uh, take it to the bank. Uh, all of those will be wildly successful if they hire them. Um, if they aren't wildly successful, that's not a problem. The end. That's not, we Deal. get paid either way. That's we our get, guarantee. We get we get we, not paid either we, way. We do not get paid either way, um, guys. Thank you so much for investing a, a, a pretty serious amount of time uh, on sorting these out. And you know what? It's uh, it's November twentieth. Things haven't gotten that crazy yet. I bet we'll have an opportunity to do this again. Yes, we will. Can't wait. Looking forward to Can't it. Can't wait. Let's do it. Thank you to Nicole and Chris for joining for that segment, and thank you to Braylon Addison for joining us talk about uh, Oregon, Oregon State, and thank you as always to you, the listeners, for tuning in to Until Saturday. Be sure to subscribe to the Until Saturday feed so that you'll be notified when we publish the podcast. And don't forget, Power Hour will be live on Tuesday night, right after the college football playoff rankings. However, Ari will be filling in for Nicole this week. Be sure to tune in and watch him and Chris break down the penultimate rankings with Selection Sunday less than three weeks out. Power Hour will also be leaning into Rivalry Week and be joined by Michigan tight end Jake Butt and former Ohio State linebacker Joshua Perry, both of the Big Ten Network, hopping on with Nicole to break down the game. So be on the lookout for that. Of course, be sure to tune in for all of our live streams, Tuesday Playoff Reaction, Thursdays for the Pick Show. Saturday night for the game reaction and Sunday for the sound off subscribe to until Saturday newsletter as well. The link to that is in the show description for my boy, Sam Khan jr. I'm Max Olson. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you next week.